Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the next episode of the Not A Paid Sponsor Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Hernandez, and today we're going to be talking UFC 235. We had a lot of questions going up into this event. Uh, what was going to go on in the welterweight division? Ben Askren's UFC debut, Tyron Woodley versus Kamara Usman, and does Anthony Smith have what it takes to beat the great John Jones? All that and more on this episode of the Not A Paid Sponsor Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Long time no see. It's been about a week since we did the last episode. Uh, this is now the fifth MMA episode. Uh, we're going to be covering UFC 235. Um, one of the reasons I didn't record last week was I because UFC 235 was this weekend. So what am I going to do? A pre-UFC 235 show add to all that speculation that everybody was having. Uh, all That was already giving... Excuse me. Marble mouth. I didn't really want to add... Uh, to any opinions uh, that I already hadn't commented in on Twitter. So um, I figured I was like, you know what, let's wait for UFC 235 to come and go. I'll do a, um, I'll do the post show, you know what I'm saying? I'll do the post UFC 235 recap. Obviously, we had a lot of questions that were answered with respects to obviously the welterweight division, the light heavyweight division. Uh, we got a chance to see Cody Garbrandt fight again for the first time in, since his defeat to TJ Dillshaw. We'll get into that. We saw Tisha Torres. We saw Zabit, uh, Magomed Shapirov. Um, we saw the the infamous Johnny Walker. Um, but yeah, it feels good, you know, to kind of relax. My uncle decided to come over last minute. He was like, hey, yo, let's watch the fight. We'll get a Ballas Rock. We'll have a couple drinks, shoot the breeze. And yeah, it turned out to be a lot of fun. I mean... So much fun, uh, kind of just relaxing and, and I don't know. I've been so busy these past couple of weeks, and it, it's been a little hard to keep up a consistent schedule with the podcast. But I'm hoping now that uh, work and everything's kind of started to settle down, I'll I'll have some more time to do more uh, episodes on a consistent basis. But yeah, uh, welcome. Uh, I was gonna do the podcast Monday. Unfortunately, I did have a death in the family. I decided to take Monday off, so we are here. Uh, Tuesday, I'm refreshed, got a good night's rest, kind of reminisced with the family, did our healing, and yeah, we're here and we're ready to go on to the episode. So yeah, I'll be the uh, first to tell you that I did not get a chance to watch the fight past prelims because A, I have not renewed my subscription for Fight Pass in quite some time. Uh, I actually started at the prelims. Uh, also gave me some extra time to hang out with my son because I knew that once the fight started, I was just going to be glued to the television and parting hard with my uncle. So um, we started off with the UFC 235 prelims, Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. So one of the things that I decided to do before the fight was to post a poll on Twitter, you know, give him maybe 10, 15 minutes before the fight starts and have a poll to see who you think is going to win each fight. And it was the first time that I did it, and we had hundreds of people come out for the polls uh, throughout the night, and it turned out to be a pretty fun thing. I think I'm going to continue doing that. It's going to give me a bit of a fuel for the podcast, uh, per se. You know, So for this one, uh, the fan voted. the fans voted 55 to 45 
uh, Mickey Gall. So 55% of you guys thought that Mickey Gall was going to beat Diego Sanchez in the fight. Um, shockingly enough, this turned out to be one of Diego Sanchez's vintage performances. Uh, you know, obviously, Mickey Gall, uh, he kind of derailed the hype train that was Sage, uh, Sage Northcutt. Uh, when he when he choked out Sage and uh, there was a chance that I don't want to say there was a chance but there was some promise uh, in Mickey Gall's career and obviously this fight was kind of a a situation where an up and coming fighter uh, had a chance to make a name for himself uh, against Diego Sanchez and it turned out to be the wrong night to do this uh, the wrong opponent Diego Sanchez so much shorter than Mickey Gall um. But nevertheless, Diego Sanchez proving that he, being an alumni, uh, an alum from the first season of The Ultimate Fighter back in, what, 2002? You know, he still got it. Um, he still got it. He wins the fight, uh, basically ground and pound TKO in the second round. And I couldn't be any more happy for Diego Sanchez because he really... You know, if he's not ready to go and he could still fight, fuck it, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. His um his interviews leave a little bit to be desired. He does sound somewhat, uh, I won't say diminished in his capability, you know, his, his speaking capabilities, but he definitely does sound a little bit, you know, like he's he spent a career in the octagon. He sounds like somebody that you would expect to sound like after they spent all those years, you know, fighting in the octagon, but nevertheless, it doesn't matter because he could still kick ass, and he did just that. Um, he also, well, I guess we'll go into the post-fight interview uh, speech that he had with uh, John Anik. Was it John or Joe? I think it was Joe that he asked. But um, he was basically saying that he had a passion for uh, anti-aging, and if you guys have a chance to follow Diego Sanchez on Instagram and things like that and Twitter... He does post some kind of out-of-the-box things. You know, I know he's into, like, heavily, like, alkaline water. Uh, he's he's just into, like, all this homeopathic stuff. This, these, these, or either homeopathic or he's just into this new... I wouldn't call it new because it's been around, you know, this philosophy of trying to be cutting-edge with... Um, staying young and, and doing everything to preserve your body. Uh, LeBron James is one that also is notorious for spending millions of dollars to keep his body in peak physical condition. So, you know, Diego Sanchez kind of gave us a little peek into his world during the post-fight interview. He's just like, hey, you know, like before I was a fighter, you know, uh, I, I, I was really into anti-aging and, you know, it's just something that I'm going to continue to, you know, to pursue. And he then spoke about uh, something about I mean, he was just like, he he was all over the place, but, you know, like, he was talking about, like, how he's, like, the Thunder God or something like that. He gets his powers from the Thunder God. It just, it, Diego Sanchez just fitting the narrative, you know, saying, like, he's just a weird dude, and, it, you know, it works for him, so fuck it. You know, congratulations to, to Diego Sanchez. One of the things that I did see also is that he said that Mickey Gall bit him. And he lifted up his shirt, and you can actually see bite marks on his chest, man. If that's the case, man, um, really, it's a really bad look for Mickey Gall. Obviously, that's uh, it could be hearsay. It could, you know, 
Mickey Gall might have not bitten him. Could be something else, but them 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 definitely look like teeth marks or or mouth guard bite marks, you know. Um, Mickey Gall said that this was a very tough weight cut for him. Uh, he passed out during the weight cut. Uh, maybe that was why he was drained, but you know, there's nothing really you can, you know, there's really nothing you could say. You know, Diego Sanchez just put on a clinic, beat him in the second round, and Diego's here to stay. And obviously, Mickey Gall's got a lot of questions going forward. He dropped this. This was a, this was a big fight for Mickey Gall, and and he dropped the ball. So. Uh, I can't really say what's going to happen next for Mickey Gall, but Diego Sanchez will just continue doing what he does. They might give him another up-and-comer or another, uh, excuse me, another up-and-coming fighter. But uh, I'm happy, and I, I hope that Diego has five, ten more fights like that. You know what I'm saying? And he rides off like a fucking, like the study is, man. I still remember his fight with Clay Guida. That, that, that to me, is my all-time favorite Diego Sanchez fight. But, um... Yeah, shout out to him. Uh, did I write anything else on this? Hold on, give me one second. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I covered everything that I wanted to say about uh, Diego. Um, the next fight was a little weird. Uh, the next fight on the card was Cody Stamen versus Alejandro Perez. And uh, this fight, I forgot to go on Twitter because I was in the middle of making drinks. Uh... I was in the middle of making drinks, and I forgot to put the poll up for this one. I had Alejandro Perez winning. Uh, I think he was the one that was undefeated. If I can recall, he was undefeated going into this fight. And this one was a, the first sign of controversy. Or what, this, this, this fight in particular was kind of like a sign of what was to come for the, uh, for the rest of the pay-per-view card I can honestly say that Alejandro Perez at least to my eyes you guys maybe you guys have a different opinion it seemed like he was just dominating the fight he was way more busy he was connecting with more shots I don't know I mean my uncle and my godfather were there and they both like were pretty convinced you know this was kind of like you know after the bell rang we all started to get up and walk away and uh, as they were announcing the victor, you know, they, they say that, what was it, 29, 28, 29, 28, and then it was like a 30, 27. And they gave the fight to go, uh, Cody, Cody Stamen. I mean, and the look on Cody's face when they announced it, he like walked into the, he walked up to the camera, he was just like, that's not me. That's not me. And um, yeah, I don't know what the judges were doing that for that. I don't know if they were talking to Dana White and then they looked back and they saw probably Cody having like a little resurgence, but I even put it on Twitter. I was like, there's no way Cody won that fight. There's just no way. I mean, I saw the fight and I mean, we all had it up there. We all made up our minds before the, the third round was even over. I'm like, this was a, this was a shutout. You know, Alejandro Perez is going to win. And then all of a sudden they call out Cody's statement. I'm like, huh? Okay. Um... After that, I mean, that's all I'm really going to say about the Cody Stamen-Perez fight. Um, Johnny Walker versus Misha Sirkunov. Obviously, Johnny Walker replacing the injured Ovin St. Preux um, on short notice. Uh, this one, I was able to do a fan... Um, I was able to do a fan vote here, and the fans voted 
85 to 15% uh, for Johnny Walker. So Johnny Walker was a 85% favorite to win that fight. And a lot of people were kind of saying that Misha was a, a legitimate threat to Johnny Walker. And sure enough, Johnny Walker with the flying knee. And he completely destroys uh, Sirkinov. I have now officially spoken, I think, longer than the fight went on itself about the fight. Uh, Johnny Walker now. Uh, he's probably considered to be the creme de la creme right now in the light heavyweight division. He's on a, you know, he's on a pretty impressive, uh, you know, all his fights ending so early. Obviously, he's been overstating the fact that he would like to be tested. Uh, you know, one would think, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's very happy that he's getting all these early finishes. But, you know, you got to believe that. Well, he, I'm not going to say you got to believe. He's already told you. He wants to be tested. He... They asked him, you know, do you feel like you're ready to fight somebody like a John Jones or something like that? And he's like, you know, when I fight John Jones, yeah, you know, I'd fight him. But I'd rather have the, you know, I'd rather take time and develop my craft and, you know, become better and more skilled and, and train, you know, train, you know, just he, he wants to put more time in the octagon and hopefully he'll have, um, you know, he'll have some better competition. I'm not going to say that these people that he fought weren't great competition but obviously he's he's disposing of them really quick so um the sad part about this fight was not so much the uh, amount of time that it took for johnny walker to dispose of his opponent whereas johnny walker somehow dislocated his shoulder performing the worm uh he after he won he kind of saluted and then he just went to go do the worm and on the come up, it looked like when he slammed his left fist onto the mat, uh, that was when his shoulder separated and he, <clears throat> pardon me, he rolled over in pain and he got up and the doc, you know, he, he kept laying on the floor. He was smiling, but one by one, like you could see the medical staff coming. They thought like maybe it almost looked like they thought he, he might've like, knocked the wind out by doing the worm like because he hit the ground hard i thought i thought when he fell and he rolled over i thought he may have knocked himself a little bit unconscious because it almost looked like his chin hit the mat and then when they played the replay i was like oh shit this dude fucked up his arm because you could kind of see like he slams his arm on the floor and then he immediately rolls over in pain so um <laughs> i mean they didn't even ask really about the fight when Joe, when they interviewed him, when Joe, when Joe interviewed him, he handed over the mic. He's just like, so, uh, did you, uh, did you hurt yourself during that post-fight celebration? He's like, Johnny Walker was like, uh, yeah, 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 you know, and Joe Rogan was like, please don't do that because we want to see you fight. Obviously Dana White also said, he's like, you know, we gotta, uh, you know, we, we gotta make sure he he stays healthy, you know, because it seems like he's he's more of a threat to himself than he than than his opponents are. I think he also had an incident in Brazil where he hit himself jumping off the cage. You know, he seems to be a very active person. So I mean, you know, I get. I mean, hopefully, if he doesn't hurt, you know, if he doesn't hurt himself too much, then all right. Uh, he did say that he might be out. He might be out for. Uh, I think probably most likely till the summer and rightfully so. You know what? He's had two quick fights. You know, he deserves to rest and he's got a nice pretty paycheck. He's got a couple of nice pretty paychecks to sit on. Uh, you know, so kudos for him. 
and you know I'm looking forward to seeing I I think they're tar I'm not saying they're targeting because by saying that they're targeting they're like actively pursuing this matchup but one of the uh, suggestions for Johnny Walker was to have him go up against um Alexander Gustafson sometime uh before before the, like just in the beginning of summer or something like that so that would be a really good fight Gustafson obviously didn't have the greatest of showings against Alex, uh, Alexander. He didn't have the greatest of showings against uh, John Jones. So, you know, I I, I got to believe that maybe Gus would, would like this kind of matchup. You know, Johnny Walker's hot. And obviously, if Johnny Walker can beat somebody like Gus, then we obviously, you know, if, if he can dominate somebody like Alexander Gustafson, then we obviously would maybe potentially look at him fight an Anthony Smith, you know, or, or somebody of the sort, you know, and, and then obviously the, the potential of him fighting for a title becomes much more real, you know, John Jones has already stated that he wants to be very active this year and, and, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see John Jones again, but, you know, obviously the sky seems to be the limit for Johnny Walker and while he's on this hype train, he's going to keep doing it. Uh, you know, the important thing is obviously Johnny wants to, or Johnny would prefer to have some more time to develop his skill and to be tested. But sometimes, you know, I'm not saying this because I could care less about where Johnny Walker goes, but sometimes the UFC hype train, sometimes when you're on that hot streak, man, you get sent up to the top. And Johnny Walker's got a personality at light heavyweight. He's a bit of a f breath of fresh air. You know, a lot of a lot of the other light heavyweights are very stoic, not much of a personality. You know, it's a, they're they're hard to get behind. Johnny Walker's young and he's exciting and he's kicking the crap out of people. And you know, Lord knows after this John Jones performance, uh, you know, the light heavyweight division might not be as deep as we we once thought. So. You know, hopefully we'll get a chance to see uh, Johnny Walker recover and, and come back in the near future. That brings us to our next fight of the the main event of the prelims. And that was Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit Magomed Shapirov. Um, this fight was... This fight was pretty one-sided, I gotta be honest with you. Um... It, 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 the precursor, the, the the context or the the precursor leading up to this fight, I know that Jeremy Stevens was in some sort of hallway. Pardon me, doing something, and and like Zabit rolled up on him, and they like they kind of confronted each other, and there was like this weird tense uh, standoff. Uh, so I didn't know how that was going to affect the fight going forward. But uh, nevertheless. Um, Oh, before I even go into the fight, I need to talk about the fan voting. So uh, I posted up another vote up on Twitter, uh, and the results, <coughs> pardon me, the fans voted 68 to 32% in favor of Zabit. And sure enough, Zabit did win the decision. Um, it was a, there was nothing spectacular. If anything, what we saw, we just we saw Zabit continue to do the same thing that he's been doing. He's got a really strong wrestling game. 
Uh, he's got very long reach and, you know, without kind of diving into it, you know, it's a, it was a, you know, it was a beat put on a show. Uh, give me one second. Um, this was a chance for Zabit to, you know, showcase that he can take out, you know, he could take out a household name. I uh, just was pulling up the stats here for the fight. Um, total strikes 57 to 36 for Zabit. Significant strikes 54 to 34 for Zabit. And then 38% to zero for uh, Zabit. And it kind of sucks because, you know, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Stevens freaking, you know, Jeremy Stevens, you know, he was, he looked like he was, he was kind of blown that the decision didn't go his way. Obviously, you know, he has every right to protest, not protest, just, he was upset. He clearly was, uh, he clearly was upset. I'm looking at the UFC power rankings right now, or the UFC current rankings, and Zabit, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So Zabit was ranked 13 or 14, and he jumped up to seven. Uh, he jumped up to six. So <laughs> he's pretty much now at the, you know, he's pretty much at the, the top now. He's He's one fight away from being in the top two or three for that division. Uh, those listed above him, you have uh, Renato Moicano. Um, you have Renato, you have Max Holloway, you have uh, Jose Aldo. Um, pardon me. Sorry, I'm just flipping through websites here. I know I get a little ADD. But yeah, you have Renato Moicano, Alexander Volkanovsky, Frankie Edgar, Brian Ortega. That's very interesting. That uh, Jose Aldo is... Jose Aldo is ranked... Uh, the, he is currently the number one contender. Um... Well, I guess because, you know, Max Holloway did beat Brian Ortega. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Zabit go up against uh, Renato or Frankie Edgar. I think Jose Aldo is targeting a fight with Alexander Volkanovsky next. So obviously Zabit, um, Zabit will most likely be fighting probably Renato Moicano. Or Frankie Edgar. Depends if Frankie Edgar wants to punch down. Obviously, Frankie Edgar's the gatekeeper, and he has shown in the past that he can hang. So, but I don't see, I don't see Frankie Edgar punching down. I see maybe a potential rematch between Frankie Edgar, uh, Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega. That seems like a somewhat realistic matchup. Um, the sky's the limit again. You know, Magomed Shapirov is, is, is doing a damn thing. And um, everybody's been dying to see him, you know, uh, to see him fight. The dude's definitely not a talker. He doesn't speak very well on the mic. He's really like this, you know. I can't speak Dagestani, so please, 
forgive me. Um, but he's got a very lackluster way of speaking, and you know, he goes in there, and, and I can imagine if he was speaking English, he'd be speaking like this, and you know, I look forward to fight my next opponent, and I go in there, and you know, I I have good wrestling and good striking, you know, like that's the kind of interview you're gonna get when you hear uh, Magomed Shapirov talk. So, um, but you know, hey, sky's the limit for that one too. And with that, this will wrap up the UFC 235 prelims. Now we're gonna take a second and do an ad. And we will be back with the UFC main, uh, UFC 235 main card, Jones versus Smith. Welcome back, everybody. I uh, appreciate you guys sitting through the ads. Uh, they are what pays the bills. Um, but nevertheless, that being said, we're going to be moving on forward with our breakdown of the UFC 235 main card. Jones versus Smith. Uh, the first fight in that card was one Cody Garbrandt, who is coming off of a loss, or who was coming off of a loss of uh, against one T.J. Dillshaw, and then he was going up. Uh, he was matched up against Pre- uh, Pedro Munoz. Pardon me, my English is a little. Uh, my English is not so very good looking. Um, I threw up a fan vote on Twitter, and those of you who voted. Uh, voted 82 to 18 in favor of one Cody Garbrandt. Now, for the result, drum roll, please. Pedro, what the first round knockout? Um, so, uh, I guess a breakdown. My breakdown of the fight would be that this, you know, Cody looked like he was eating a lot of shots to his lead leg. Um, and it got to a point where in that first round, he started kind of hopping around gingerly. And if I honestly could pretend like I know what kind of anguish Cody was going through, he probably threw caution to the wind and was like, you know what, man, I'm pretty sure uh, if I go back to my corner, they're going, you know, like, I'm not going to be getting back up. Like, I'm not saying that I'm going to throw in the towel, but, like, I'm just, I don't got it in me. My leg is going to be considerably more damaged. I think he just went for it. He started just standing and banging with uh, Pedro and in identical fashion. Cody drops the left, gets hit with these consecutive right hands, Cross that cheek and he goes down in the same exact way that TJ beat him. I mean, you could literally put TJ 1 and 2, TJ Garbrandt 1 and 2 side by side with this fight uh, against Pedro Munoz and it's identical. Identical to how he was beat. And I'm not sure if it was because his leg was hurting and he felt like he he had it was all or nothing or maybe this is something that Cody the young martial artist needs to assess uh very similar to the Luke Rockhold 
uh, scenario when he fought Michael Bisping and then again Yoel Romero, the same sequence of punches that led to both Michael Bisping and Yoel Romero winning that fight. Uh, maybe this is something that's like a fundamental flaw in Cody's game, or maybe he was just put in a situation that he it was it was a do or die for him, you know. And everybody, including myself, um, you know, I had I had Cody coming back. I had I had Cody returning to the to, to, the dominator, the, the the you know the pros pro. That, that we once saw before these TJ Dillshaw fights, and unfortunately, uh, we didn't get that. I, I'm not sure. Like uh, I don't know, man. My heart bleeds for him. My heart bleeds for him because uh, I know this is devastating now. Three losses in a row, and and where do, where do you go from here? You know, obviously, you know, I went on Twitter, and uh, shout out to Al Jermaine Sterling. Uh, Literally within a minute of each other, I posted, uh, you know, that I, I tagged Aljo Sterling in a tweet. And I was just like, yo, man, you really got to fight Pedro. Uh, this would be an awesome fight. And not even a minute later, he tweets the same exact thing. And then he reads my tweet. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm here for all the smoke, man. And I think it's a great fight. I think it's a great fight because from what we're seeing here, you you can't say that Oh, this is not the good. This this is not the Cody that that was supposed to be out there. He got finished the same way three times in a row. That's nobody else's fault but Cody. You know what I'm saying? And uh, however, I will say that Pedro would probably be a very interesting matchup against Cody. Uh, I mean, uh, against Aljo Sterling. Aljo's coming off a, a a victory in himself. Got a nice decision. Uh, Pedro coming off this knockout. I think it's a match made in heaven. I think the winner uh, maybe faces off against the TJ Dillshaw or uh, Marlon Marias. I think that I think that's kind of where my head is at in regards to these uh, these four guys. You know, again, it's just it's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking to see uh, Cody go down like that. And you know, God willing, you know, his next fight. You know, his next fight it will have a better outcome. You know, he's still young. This is uh, something that the commentators, Joe and Anik and Dominic Cruz, they all kept making is that Cody's still very young and he has time to mature. I think he's, I think he's only 26 years old, but, you know, it's just it's, you worry. You worry about a guy that young getting knocked out in that fashion. I mean, they're, they're devastating knockouts. I'm not saying that his lights are getting put out, but buttons are definitely getting hit. You know what I'm saying? Because the way Cody's going down, it's just, that's really tough. Um, after that, we had uh, Tisha Torres versus Weili Zhang. Uh, I put up a vote on Twitter for this one as well. And the vote was a 58-42 split for Tisha. Uh, I gotta say this. Watching... Um, Watching the Cody Garbrandt fight and watching the Tisha Torres fight, uh, Tisha, um, it's like the, the strikers didn't do so well. 
this evening, you know, the, the evening of UFC 235. That also goes for Robbie Lawler, um, Tyrod Woodley. These guys didn't have uh, these these men and women didn't have the striking performance that we thought they would have. Uh, Tisha Torres was just outworked in this fight against Wei Li Zhang. Uh, Wei Li, I'll call. Uh, I apologize if I'm butchering her name. But uh, she really, really put on, I wouldn't say a clinic, but she clearly worked twice as hard as Tisha. Tisha just couldn't really get anything off on uh, on Zhang. And, you know, what can I say? It went, it went to decision. Obviously, Tisha Torres, I think, was ranked 7. And she was punching down uh, Weili Zhang. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the power ranking or the UFC's pound for pound rankings. Bear me one second. Yeah. So, Whaley Zhang in defeating Tisha Torres moves up eight spots to number seven, and Tisha Torres drops one. Um, obviously, those standing above Whaley Zhang. Uh, are pretty much the killers of that division. After that, you have Carolina Kovakiewicz, um, Claudia Gadea, you have Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff. Now, who do you match up Zhang with? Do you make, because you could basically, right now Rose is going to be fighting Andrade, right? I think uh, in Brazil. <coughs> Puberty. Uh, Namajunas is going to be fighting Andrade in Brazil, I believe. Joanna doesn't have an opponent. Uh, Nina Ansarov. Uh, you could make a case. Maybe I think Carolina Kovakiewicz is coming off a loss. It would be interesting. I, I don't see them pushing Whaley to the top quick, so I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe she fights Carolina next um, I know Carolina needs to get back on that win column so that that'd probably be a realistic fight for um for Zhang uh, but sh man shout out to her man I mean it was really impressive I, I was shocked but one of the things I, I you know I picked uh, Tisha to win via decision I didn't see Tisha knocking this chick out uh, Zhang was noticeably larger lankier uh, than Tisha, but nevertheless, I was wrong in my pick. Um, it just kind of raises the question: this disability, you know, the the lack, this this apparent lack of not being well rounded. Um, Cody again tried standing and banging, tried striking his way out to a victory, didn't pay off for him. Tisha Torres, another one. She didn't really use, you know, she didn't utilize the ground game. She, you know, she was kind of just trying to land these these haymakers. You know, she was trying to rely on the jab and, and a combination of punches to get the job done. Wei Lei Zhang was throwing everything. She was throwing kicks. She was throwing punches. She had Tisha Torres on the ground. It was just a really dominant performance. And uh, I look forward, I, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. It was a bittersweet victory because, like I said, I did vote for Tisha, but um, you know, it's bittersweet. Uh, what 
is next. <clears throat> Pardon me. The next fight was, oh boy. And, and so begins the controversy of the night. We had Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. Uh, this obviously was Ben Askren's first uh, fight in the UFC's welterweight division. And they paired him up with Robbie Lawler. Uh, I mean, that's a killer matchup. Uh, I voted. Uh, I voted for Askren. Uh, I wasn't rooting for him. I just made a solid pick. I was just like I, you know, I kind of picked Askren to win that fight. The fans who voted on Twitter also voted uh, in favor of Ben Askren. Sixty-four thirty-six split. Now, I think the fans thought as I thought that Ben was going to win in maybe like the third or fourth round, maybe tire Robbie out, maybe just out-wrestle him for the whole fight. If you haven't, if you've been living under a rock, this hands down was the most banana sandwich fight of the night. Robbie in the first round, right in the beginning of the first round, within like 30 seconds, starts dropping bombs. They get into a clinch. Ben Askren's looking like he's trying to... He he kind of looks like he's trying to anchor himself to uh, Robbie. He has one leg kind of stuck out in between Robbie's legs, and he's trying to like drag Robbie down. But the adrenaline is so great that Robbie picks Ben Askren up over his head and completely body slams Ben Askren on his head. Robbie jumps right on him and starts wailing. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, I'm talking Robbie's head was getting, I mean, excuse me, Ben Askren's head was getting snapped. Okay. The referee could have stopped the fight. Herb Dean could have stopped the fight if he wanted to. I thought he was going to stop the fight. Lo and behold, the fight goes on for just a couple of extra seconds. Ben Askren gets up off his feet, comes back, and proceeds to grapple with Robbie Lawler. All of a sudden, Robbie Lawler's losing all the steam, and it's like in a hurry, and I'm like, damn, did he punch himself out? And, and all of a sudden, just like that, Ben Askren gets Robbie up against the cage, Robbie falls down, and, and, and it looks like Ben Askren has Robbie in some sort of neck crank. It didn't look at first like it was a solid neck crank, but you could see Robbie put his, and, and this is where the controversy of the fight is, is that Robbie puts his right hand behind the neck of Ben Askren, kind of like, you know, some sort of struggling position, and then Robbie Lawler's hand drops. Now, I, along with everyone in the living room that was watching this fight, were 100% sold that Robbie Lawler passed out. And then we got into this huge debate. None of us practice mixed martial arts, so please forgive our ignorance. Trying to break down, you know, we're trying to add bro science to what we're seeing here. And I'm saying, no, you know, I think I remembered Mackenzie Dern was talking something about 
like what's an air choke and what's a blood choke and it looks like this was like a this looks like it was it, it might have been like a blood choke and 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 the fact that like Robbie's hand fell maybe he was just like deprived of a little bit of blood and, and then maybe like Ben Askren when he was kind of looking at Herb Dean probably let up on the choke a little bit and then Robbie Lawler within a, a split second regained consciousness and realized that you know he had to and then upon the replay there was some debate whether Robbie Lawler gave like a thumbs up I gotta tell you unpopular opinion forgive me I kind of feel like the stoppage was necessary I feel like the stoppage was was warranted I mean was it a wasn't it like a little too early yeah but not by much I think if Ben would have had Robbie in that position any longer I think Robbie might have stood out but obviously Herb Dean chose to step in when he did and he felt that Robbie's safety uh, was of concern, and, and and he chose to stop the fight and wave the fight off. And Robbie shot up, freaking pissed off, and and damn, it just it sucks. It does suck for Robbie because I'm a huge Robbie Lawler fan, but the, the decision was made, and and nobody could take that away from Ben Askren. You can make all the excuses that the the fight was stopped early and. I'm pretty sure some of you guys might feel like TJ Dillashaw's fight was stopped early. Um, but the decisions were made. You know, obviously, the the same way that people may have felt that I'm in line with the people that kind of feel like if Henry Suhuro were given the opportunity to punch TJ Dillshaw in the face for another 10 seconds the outcome would have been no different and I'm a firm believer that if Ben Askren would have been allowed to maintain that chokehold for another couple of seconds the outcome probably would have been the same so I know Robbie was talking about, oh, I want to run it back. I want to run it back. Um, you, I don't think it's fair to Ben Askren. I don't. I mean, I think Ben Askren's earned a, you know, like you're basically saying just because you feel like the stoppage was short that he needs to run it back. I, I think that's kind of bullshit. You know, like, not you as in you guys listening, but I'm saying, like, the UFC matchmakers, like, oh, Dana White feels like that Ben Askren, you know, like, you know, Dana White doesn't agree with the referee, so, yeah, they're going to run it back. And um, One of the things that I posted on Twitter uh, last week was, uh, I think I was talking to Patrick, uh, one of our good friends that run the uh, the MMA scope along with Cole Henry. Uh, shout out to those guys. Um uh, Cole, I did message you that I was going to DM you. I just wanted to get this podcast out the way. Once I'm done recording the podcast and uploading it, I'll, I'll definitely send it your way. Uh, I'll, I'll hit you up. Um, but yeah, freaking. I'm not a, you know, maybe, you know, Ben Askren should move up now. I think he's earned the, the right to move up. It wasn't Ben Askren that made that decision. Herb Dean made the decision. And that's the way it goes. The same way you can't, 
you know, this the same way you can't argue balls and strikes in a baseball game, if a referee makes that call, um, gotta stick with it. Gotta freaking stick with it. And I will I will say this. Um the inconsistency in the judging, obviously with the Cody Stamen fight. Um uh and the refereeing is a little inconsistent because I and and like I said, this is a very hypocritical thing for me to say because of what I just said that, you know, Asker won the fight fair and square. Um the fight could have easily been stopped in the first 30 seconds when Robbie Lawler, for all intensive purpose, I mean, the, you know, I'm putting this in context, right? So the beating that Ben Askren took at the hands of Robbie Lawler in the 30 seconds that Robbie was winning that fight is much more, much greater than the beating that Henry Cejudo was putting on TJ Dillshaw. And the fight was stopped. Okay? So in that breath, I do kind of somewhat understand why people are upset. Because Robbie Lawler was not given the chance to truly go out on his shield. It was a somewhat neutral position. Robbie's body wasn't in a position that it really looked like if it went limp, you were going to be able to tell. Robbie was kind of on one knee, and the only sign that we got from Robbie was that his hand seemed to have gone limp. And we'll never really know, because a few seconds isn't enough time to really... You know, one or two seconds isn't enough time to determine whether he was truly out or not, even if it was for that brief moment. But the decision was made, and the submission victory goes over to Ben Askren. But again, the real question is not what does Anthony think about the Robbie Lawler-Ben Askren fight. The real question is the refereeing, uh, you know, I keep, you know, I apologize that I have to keep bringing up baseball, but baseball in this particular situation and the comparison between the TJ Dillshaw fight with uh, TJ Dillshaw and Henry Cejudo and the um, Ben Askren-Robbie Lawler fight is that, and this is where the baseball reference comes in, right? In, In baseball, sometimes a pitcher will have a certain strike zone for one pitcher and then the other team comes up and then their pitcher will start hitting that same spot you know let's say you know for instance uh cc sabathia new york yankees pitcher you know he's a lefty and he's throwing a slider on the outside on the outside of the strike zone and cc's getting the call strike and maybe the ball's like a little bit out of the strike zone. CeCe's getting that call. He's throwing the slider. He keeps hitting that spot. It's clearly, you know, at home, we can see that the ball is outside a little bit, but he's getting the strike zone. We don't, as fans, we don't tend to get upset because it's like, okay, the umpire's consistently making this call 
for that ball. Now the next pitcher would come up and throw the same pitch in that same spot and not get the call. That's very frustrating. Even for a fan, I'm all for, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm all for CC getting the call on the outside corner. But it is kind of bullshit if the other pitcher comes out and he doesn't get that call too. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that they're playing favorites, but if you're going to if you're going to be that way, be that way. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to give Robbie Lawler, oh excuse me, if you're going to give Ben Askren the ability to come back from the freaking dead, a la Tyson Fury when he got knocked the fuck out by Deontay Wilder and the referee could have stopped that fight but let Tyson Fury come back from the dead then you gotta let Robbie Lawler go out in his fucking shield I shit you not when the fight started and I saw Herb Dean the first thing out of my mouth was and I quote oh shit the referee is Herb Dean for this fight. Something terrible is about to happen. I shit you not. And I wasn't saying that to be disrespectful to Herb. And it it sounds really fucked up coming out my mouth. But it's like. You can't tell me that seeing Herb Dean. Gave you a little bit of the jitters. Okay, and this scenario, albeit the decision was made and Robbie Lawler lost to Ben Askren, this continues to raise the question of what is the standard for some of these refs' judgment calls? You know, very confusing. And we're going to come back to Herb Dean later because we had an incident in the main event. And guess who was the referee? Herb Dean. Um, that wraps up that fight. Uh, oh, well, well, we'll do the what's next part of the fight for Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler. Uh, on Twitter, I might have... Uh, I apologize if I detoured earlier. Um, I'll say it quickly. Freaking... I definitely think that Ben Askren deserves to fight somebody else. Obviously, uh, one the suggestion that I made before the fight was to see Ben Askren up against the winner versus um, the winner of the Darren Till-Jorge Masvidal fight. That was who I uh, had picked. It is on Twitter. You guys can verify me. It is my Nostradamus pick that I pulled out of a hat. And then I also... Uh, mentioned that the winner regardless of the fact of the Tyron Woodley Kamara Usman fight would be fighting Kobe Covington next for the matchup now that being said we'll move on to the next fight and the next fight obviously just being uh, mentioned was Kamara Usman and uh, Tyron Woodley this fight uh, I put another vote out for this one uh, this was a 72 28 split uh this was the let me check 
in terms of in terms of voting differences uh, the number one most lopsided vote was uh, 85 15 percent for Johnny Walker 85 percent chance for Walker to win his fight that was the top um, that was the most lopsided voting that we got the second was the Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz Cody Garbrandt was favored to win 82 percent uh, by 82 percent of the voters and then this one was the third um, most lopsided in that uh, the fans have voted or had voted 72-28% in favor of Woodley. Um, this fight was as... This fight didn't go the way I think a lot of us were thinking it was going to go. Now, I had... I had been one to pick Woodley for the fight, and maybe the downfall of me not recording the podcast last week is that I wrote down my picks for the fight, and at the end of the picks, I had a segment that I was going to have where I would then pick one fight, and I would that fight was basically like what I would be the, considered to be the upset of the night. You know, one pick where I might have picked somebody here, but I thought that this fight also had the potential to be an upset, you know, like the mulligan. And uh, on my sheet, I wrote that although I did pick Tyron Woodley to win this fight, I definitely could, my mind's eye could see this being the one fight that was going to be the mulligan. This, this one could have been the upset. Lo and behold... This fight turned out to be a major, major upset. Kamaru Usman. I'm not even going to... That man does not deserve to be called Marty. Whatever nickname they... That, Kamaru Usman showed us everything that we needed to see in our welterweight champion. Okay, not only did he dominate Woodley, he, you want to talk about getting nullified? Tyron Woodley, from the second Kamaru took him down the first time, it was like, damn, this is over. Not only did he take Tyron Woodley down, he completely disrespected Tyron Woodley's takedown defense. When Kamaru Usman wanted Tyron Woodley to go down, he went down. And man, Kamaru was just railing on Woodley's body, man. I'm talking just all up in Woodley's guts, man, with those punches. It was terrifying to see Woodley in that much trouble. And Woodley just never got it together and it just you know and, and congratulations uh, obviously Usman becoming the undisputed welterweight champion uh, via unanimous decision now my gripe my gripe here is again with another referee situation 
Mark Goddard, who is a an esteemed referee for the UFC and various other promotions, you know, it's like I feel like he separated these guys so much. Kamaru Usman got Woodley down. And it was like the leash was so short. And they kept standing him up, standing them up, standing him up, standing him up. And then at one point, Kamaru Usman was clearly working. He had those punches to the, the gut. He was working Woodley up against the fence. And then Goddard separated Woodley and Usman and then motions towards Usman and says, Hey man, this is a fight. Like, I don't even need to go any further into this because Dominic Cruz, as much as I'm not the greatest fan of his commentary, he said it like spot on. Then the referee, then Mark does clearly doesn't know how difficult wrestling is. I don't know how bored he must have been to be judging a wrestling match or this grappling uh, clinic that we saw. I feel like at no point did Usman need to be stood up. And it freaking sucks. Not necessarily for... Usman because after he was separated from that clinch Usman almost knocked Woodley out right after that Usman started blowing up on Woodley was starting to just land these haymakers and haymakers and haymakers to Woodley's credit he didn't go down but one has to wonder would he have absorbed all that damage if Usman I mean clearly the fight was looking like Usman was going to take it but I'm just saying in terms of damage done, you know, would have would would Woodley have taken that much damage as opposed to being separated? And now you got Kamaru Usman pissed the fuck off, turns around, and starts dropping bombs. I don't know. Like I said. There's got to be a little bit more uniformity. Um, the situation with Herb Dean and the way he refed the Robbie Lawler Ben Askren fight, and the, I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is. It was blatant impatience with what he was seeing in the Kamaru Usman Tyron Woodley fight. Reminds me of when we first saw Frank Trigg refing and and then they had frank trigg on some podcast or whatever and he was talking about how um he was talking about how you know he was like i, I think his, his the first fight i forgot what fight it was that he called but he was notoriously short paid like like short tempered uh, I think it was like a fight where these two guys were just doing jujitsu. They were grappling, and it looked like they were working, and 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 they got they were they kept getting stood up, and and somebody made a comment like, "Damn, yo, this low key Frank Trigg is like really short tempered," you know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be a level way, maybe. Uh, I mean, to so each refer each referee 
has their own perspective of what they consider to be being active versus being inactive. But I think we have seen enough now that it is too inconsistent between the referees. Mario Yamasaki is a referee that would have clearly let somebody be murdered in the octagon. Herb Dean kind of following in that trait where he doesn't mind seeing somebody get assassinated in the octagon, but then Herb Dean is one that sometimes will... Herb Dean is either going to call a fight too late or he's going to call it too early. You know what I'm saying? Mark Goddard simply just has a... clearly has some sort of funky attitude going on. I'm not saying he has a bias. I would never say that a referee has a bias, but Mark clearly has a short temper. You know what I'm saying? And I think the referees kind of got to get together and maybe look at some tape as a group and kind of say, okay, this is why I would stop the fight at this point. Or look at look at a referee's call and say, okay, was this fight stopped too early or was it stopped too late? Now, what do you see here and as to why you make your decision? I think there needs to be some sort of effort to create a uniform, not MMA, not you know, not the unified rules of MMA, but I'm talking about the unified style of refereeing. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be some sort of, and I understand you guys probably like Anthony, shut up. You know, this is you know like you got to let the refs do their jobs, and I'm and of course, listen, I wouldn't pay for UFC if if I didn't care. I wouldn't pay for UFC events. I I support the sport as a whole, but. I am a little bit concerned that there's not a uniform refereeing guideline as to how they choose to stop fights. It's very subjective. One referee might see this guy taking too much punishment. The other guy might see the same thing and let the guy get assassinated. So, you know, this is what I'm saying. If you're going to be that way, then be that way. You can't, you know, I'm, I'm end up going kind of detouring back to Herb Dean and how he handled the Robbie Lawler fight with Ben Askren, but lo and behold, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I, stand, I do stand by the decision. I, I do kind of feel like it's a shitty decision, but it's a valid decision. It's a shitty, valid decision that Ben Askren, he won fair and square. I do, you know, I just, my gripe with it is that, you know, like I said, there was inconsistencies. You're going to let Robbie Lawler damn near punch Ben Askren's head off. And then Ben Askren puts Robbie in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, Robbie Lawler may have looked out, albeit for 30 milliseconds. Hand dropped on the floor, slammed on it. And then Herb Dean pulls the plug. It's just, it's just a little weird. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Um... With all that hubbubaloo being said, we are now going to move to our main event, which was John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Now, this one, uh, this one surprised me. the The fan voting on this one definitely surprised me, because the general consensus. Three weeks before the fight, 
was that this is just another tune-up for John Jones. And that's kind of where I was. I picked John Jones to win. Now, as the fight came closer, there was a story going around uh, talking about Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is younger than John Jones, but has twice as many fights. Um, now they painted this thing where they, they were beginning to paint the story and the great Robin Black was starting to compare the potential outcome of this fight to Ronda Rousey when she lost to Holly Holm. Michael Bisping when he beat Luke Rockhold uh, and all of the other great, you know, Matt Sarah when he beat Matt Hugh, uh, Matt Sarah when he beat George St. Pierre, you know, and, and these comparisons were being made. And all of a sudden, this narrative that, you know, now there was a, a mystique, what once seemed like a, a, a one-way fight, a one-sided fight for John Jones, just another tune-up, just so John Jones can stay busy in the division, all of a sudden it became mysterious. And, well, if it's going to be one person that can beat John Jones, it's going to be Anthony Smith. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. The fan voted the fans voted fifty nine forty one for John Jones by far the closest um pardon me the second closest tisha torres fifty eight forty two is the closest um yeah, but the fans voted a very strange fifty nine forty one in favor of jones uh Jones did win, but I mean when you talk about somebody getting beat from pillar to post. Um, this is one of those fights. Anthony Smith had nothing for John Jones. A capital N on that nothing. I mean, there was nothing that he could do. I, I wish, I wish I could break down the fight and tell you what went wrong. But what makes John Jones so great is that he is somehow baffling to his opponents. He mixes up his kicks. He mixes up his punches. I mean, he he, he, he constantly grabs that lead hand. He does that thing where he, he constantly, he's touch, always touching the lead hand of the fighter, his opponent. You know what I'm saying? So the, the opponent doesn't feel, you know, like it, 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 it clearly seems that that motion alone, where he constantly plays, plays patty cake, where he's pawing at the lead hand of his opponent, like they can't gauge their range. The only way to get in there is like literally to just march right through him, and then you're going to either get elbowed, you're going to get flying knee, you're going to get, you know, he, you know, you're either going to get kicked in your your knee, you know, and the the mystique of John Jones is. He can, at any point, turn it on and the fight. 
It doesn't matter if it's the beginning of the first round. It doesn't matter if it's the last 10 seconds of the fifth round. At any point, John Jones can switch kick you. He can kick your knee. He can all of a sudden throw a fucking haymaker. He can choke you the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? It's just he was landing so many kicks. He was kicking the shit out of Anthony Smith's gut. And what can I say? Uh, There was a point in the fight. uh, Anthony Smith was downed. He was, again, this is a credit to the refereeing that night. Herb Dean was allowing basically John Jones to get away with these illegal kicks. Um, it was excuse me, not the illegal kicks. I think it was the illegal knees to the body. And then John Jones decided, in his best interest, to land an in illegal knee. Uh, against Anthony Smith. Now, uh, in Nevada, the rule stands that if a fighter has one hand on the ground, you cannot knee that fighter. You can't do a standing knee. And um, that's what John Jones did. They stopped the fight for a second, and this is the situation where the... Anthony was faced with the decision to either A, have John Jones disqualified and then become the champion based on disqualification, or B, uh, continue to fight. And the decision was Anthony Smith's and Anthony Smith's alone. And as lopsided as the fight was, as sad as it was to see a man like Anthony Smith get disposed of so easily. He chose to be honorable and he continued to fight until his eventual defeat. And a lot of people give him credit for that. And it it just sucks because obviously it wasn't the fight that we were expecting to see. We were expecting to see Anthony Smith do something that we never saw before and shock the world, but Anthony said it best himself. He was completely nullified. He was completely nullified, and, and there was nothing he could do to to, to mount any sort of offense, uh, offense against John Jones. And uh, I feel bad, you know, because, you know, his performance not only kind of foreshadows what's next for him. He doesn't fight John Jones again in the near future. I don't I don't see him doing that because the way he got to the title fight was being lethal. A la Johnny Walker, you know what I'm saying? He had that Johnny Walker mystique, you know, where he was killing people left and right. And he got the title shot. And he couldn't perform. He didn't perform. Um, The only credit that I can really truly give for him is that he didn't puss out and disqualify John Jones. Although I wouldn't have been mad at him if he did. Um, In that, he has 100% earned many fans' respect. 
and that he lasted all five rounds. He didn't. He didn't give up to the end. He didn't. Much, he didn't really do anything because John Jones was literally just beating the shit out of him. And <sighs> I don't know. It just it sucks. And yeah, a lot of people are questioning John Jones. Um, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, this was a boring fight." You know, if you know Anthony Smith clearly wasn't putting up any he wasn't putting any sort of offense together why didn't john jones dispose of him well you know maybe sometimes people have hard heads okay let's not completely diminish the effort that john jones gave us because in true essence even though john jones was clearly winning the fight he didn't take his foot off the gas for one second even to the final bell, John Jones was doing everything he could to put Anthony Smith away. Okay, he didn't roll over uh, on anybody. And just sometimes you fight somebody that's got a freaking hard head. And Anthony Smith was that guy. And it just so happened to go to a decision. But it clearly went John Jones' way. What happens next from here? With Anthony Smith, who knows? Maybe Anthony Smith gets an, a Johnny Walker next. Maybe Anthony Smith gets a Gustafson next. You know? Who knows? For John Jones? Seems like... Uh, it seems like... Uh, who, who, who are they saying that they want Jones to go up against... They're saying that they want, they want Thiago Santos. You know, they're saying that they they think the next matchup for John Jones is potentially going to be Thiago Santos. And that and that's where we are. John Jones continues to win. The refereeing obviously needs to be looked at. Uh, I know I sound extremely serious. I'm actually having a real good time recording this podcast. We're we're running pretty heavy. Um, whatchamacallit? I, I I believe I have some fan questions before we wrap up the podcast. Give me one second. Let me boot up the old Twitterverse. Yes. Where are we? We had some questions. Um, Red Bull Ray, uh, Twitter handle, at Red Bull Ray, asked me to talk about the medical suspension. Uh, I think John Jones was handed a potential 180 days suspension uh, pending him having... Uh, whatchamacallit, that he needs to have a physical, um, uh, he needs to get medical clearance on his foot, a potential foot injury, I think. Um, Anthony Smith also, uh, Anthony Smith and Tyron Woodley also potentially facing a similar amount of time. I think Anthony Smith, for all the beating that he took, I mean, his whole fucking body's probably fucked up. And then Tyron Woodley for ribs and something else, I think a foot and ribs. Um, pardon me. 
Now, Cole Henry, our good friend over at the MMA Scope podcast with Patrick, uh, he asks, uh, Cole Henry's Twitter handle, by the way, is at the scope MMA. If you guys want to check out his podcast, it's a lot of fun. Uh, him and Patrick have some really good interests, uh, good chemistry together. And uh, I always look forward to when they put out the new episode. So shout out to them at the MMA Scope. Uh, he asked me if there's any interest in seeing Askren and Lawler rematch. Again, I'm torn when it comes to a rematch. Um, I think there's just too many other fights that you can make. You could, like, I'm going to run by a scenario, right? Allow me to put on my tinfoil hat. Um, Askren fights the winner of Masvidal until Robbie Lawler can fight the loser of that match or let's say that Tyron Woodley uh, let's say for some reason Kamara Usman you know I'm, I'm going to run down through the potential matchups that you have at the welterweight division so Colby Covington is clearly next for Kamara Usman now you can have Let's say Kobe or Kamaru aren't ready for that fight. You can potentially make, again, a Tyron Woodley versus Kobe Covington match for a title eliminator. Doesn't make sense. Not so much. But then you look at what's going on between Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier, and suddenly it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Um, you have... Ben Askren potentially fighting the winner of Till Masvidal. Uh, you could even, let's say you can't, let's say Kamara Usman and Colby Covington uh, get their, their fight on. You could potentially make a rematch between Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley. You know? And then the winner of Askren versus Tiller Masvidal fight Lawler. You know, uh, I am interested in seeing a rematch, just not right away. Uh, I know that sounded very confusing. I, I need to write that down on a, a, a chart on the potential matchups. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm long story short, I am down to see a rematch, just not right now. Not right now. Um... Uh, this next question is, uh, it comes from another friend, uh, Casual Charlie at Mixed Martial Law on Twitter. He sent me a message saying, uh, was Lawler out or was it an early stoppage? And should John Jones go to heavyweight? Um, was Lawler out or was it an early stoppage? I'm in the belief that it, I'm, a, I'm in the belief that he was out. And it was an early stoppage. Not because Robbie Lawler was out, but in that, like I said earlier, you allowed Robbie Lawler to put on more damage to Ben Askren than what's Henry Cejudo put on to TJ Dillashaw. Granted, I understand it's two different weight classes, but I'm just talking about in terms of damage absorbed, invisible uh, stress, visible trauma inflicted upon your opponent. The fight for TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo was... One could argue that was stopped kind of early, even though 
a lot of people feel that TJ would have continued absorbing punishment and the physical trauma that Ben Askren absorbed at the hands of Robbie Lawler. And you could argue that Ben Askren's head was snapped back a couple of times and he, he could have been out for a couple of seconds. So my belief in the fight, Robbie Lawler was out, but he was not given the opportunity to be a warrior, as the great Mario Yamasaki would once say. And should John Jones go to heavyweight? Should John Jones beat uh, Thiago? I I wouldn't be surprised to see John Jones at heavyweight. You heard it here first. And with that, we're going to be calling the podcast here. I look forward to catching up with you guys again soon. It's been so much. I had so much to talk about. Uh, I'm surprised I was able to run the podcast this long. And I love you guys for listening and tuning in and supporting the podcast. And please, if you like what you hear, give me a thumbs up, review, whatever, man, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Anchor. Um, You guys can also, uh, the benefit of using the Anchor app, uh, this is another plug for Anchor, but this also kind of helps me too. You guys can go to my podcast on the Anchor app and you guys can send me messages that I can actually crop into the podcast. You know what I'm saying? If you guys say, just, I mean, it could be anything. It could be a question. It could be a comment. You could tell me that my voice sucks. You could tell me that I breathe too hard on the mic. Um, I, I like, I just, you know, I want you guys to be a part of it. This means a lot to me. It's a passion project. This is something that I do for fun. I've met some really cool friends uh, in the MMA Twitterverse, you know, not all of the fans are, you know, not all of the MMA Twitter fans are assholes, you know, you guys are some, most of you guys are pretty freaking awesome to chit chat with, so I hope we can keep this kind of thing going, and I love you guys for coming through and listening to me every week, and yeah, let's just keep the freaking ball rolling, man. I hope you guys have a great evening, and I look forward to catching you guys in the next episode. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please don't forget, like, subscribe, review. If you guys like what I have to say, please give me some support. I started off as a passion project, and I've got quite a few listeners now. So if you guys want to partake in the podcast, you guys can also download the Anchor app. And you guys can leave me voice messages uh, or text messages on the app. Uh, But if you don't use the Anchor app, you can find the podcast wherever you consume your content. Again, thank you very much. I hope you guys have a lovely evening. Take care.